Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Karen Geyer. Writer, uh, you've written for The Guardian, Welcome to Hell World, Passage, The Cut from New York Magazine, and uh, you are the host of On Belief, a podcast about cults. Yeah. Hey. Hi. Karen, today we're going to talk about politician Patrick Brown. Sources say his name has been cleared. So why does he remain accused by CTV News of sexual assault and misconduct? We'll try to figure that one out. And today we're going to talk about uh, grannies with guns, child soldiers, community maker workshops for Molotov cocktail creation. We're loving it. <laughs> we will have a look at Canada's wartime press. <laughs> Welcome to Shortcuts, Karen, where we talk shit about the news. <laughs> My favorite pastime. This episode is brought to everybody by Maureen James, Jeffrey Van Helvoort, Marcella De Jong. Kial Rakos, Jack Hume, Brian Tangway, Martin Plummel, and Andrew. My name is Andrew. I'm a graphic artist from Kingston, Ontario, and I support Canada Land because it is not a faceless corporation. 
Uh, it's not just pundits and it's not just the party line. Uh, it's real people with real perspectives that I don't always agree with, but I think that's really healthy in a person's media diet. Patrick Brown is now out as the leader of the province's progressive conservative party, the official opposition, and out over allegations of sexual misconduct by two women. Hey, Karen, remember Patrick Brown? (laughs) Yes. Whatever happened to that guy, Patrick Brown? Yeah, the man that they say gave us Doug Ford. (laughs) Yeah, he was going to be the premier. uh, And then a, a couple of journalists came in with this bombshell story mm-hmm. that he was accused by women of uh, one of sexual assault, one of sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. Uh, teenagers, he was a fully grown man. He was in a position of power. Mm-hmm. And the reporters, they saw texts. They had substantiated this. They had spoken to people who had heard these accounts from these women at the time that they happened. Pretty serious stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was it for that campaign. And then we, we ended up with... Uh, with Doug Ford mm-hmm. and Patrick Brown, he said that it was all lies. And if the lying media is lying about you, you sue him. And he, and he sued CTV and the reporter Glenn McGregor and Rachel Ayo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he went on, became the mayor of Brampton somehow. I wasn't following it too closely. To tell you the truth, I wasn't thinking much about Patrick Brown until this morning I wake up and I read conservative leadership prospect <laughs> Patrick Brown. Yes. <laughs> settles lawsuit with CTV. And in the headline, there's a quote, his name has been cleared. His name has been, he's CTV settled. Everybody wanted to know, Mm -hmm. how's this lawsuit like, because CTV's response was, you know, they got one thing wrong. One of the accusers misremembered her age. She thought Mm -hmm. she was 18 at the time of the alleged uh, assault. It turned out she was 19. Mm -hmm. And so it's a pretty common thing in reporting about sexual assault allegations, sexual misconduct allegations for these memory to be a little bit uh, imprecise. But beyond that, as far as anyone knew, CTV said, we stand by our story under intense scrutiny, intense mm-hmm. scrutiny that this was a political hit job. And they said, no, this story is accurate. And they filed a statement of defense and Canada Land reported on that where we got even more insight into how they reported the story. And it turns out there was a whole history of other allegations against Patrick Brown that CTV like – you know, it was it, it was pre-Me Too, and they couldn't nail them down well enough, and they didn't pursue them. But that was institutional knowledge they had before they met these other women who actually had receipts and texts from Patrick Brown. So how does this end? It ends, what do you, isn't it such a strange coincidence that right as Patrick Brown is about to enter the ring to vie for leadership of the conservative party, he settles his lawsuit with CTV? Mm-hmm. CTV was probably very happy because the cost was probably the piece of paper and the time that a lawyer could write up the document saying, we're sorry. (laughs) Of course, they didn't actually say we're sorry. Yeah. Here's the weird thing. (laughs) When Patrick Brown sued CTV, he asked for a couple of things. He asked for $8 million. And he asked, as pretty much any defamation statement of claim will ask, Take that fucking pack of lies down. Right. Unpublish it immediately. He asked for an injunction for CTV to remove this story with its false allegations from their website, from Twitter, from everywhere where they've published it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are taking this news and running with it that uh, Patrick Brown has won, that his name has been cleared, as this quote in the headline has it. His name has been cleared, and now he can move ahead with his political career and maybe be the leader of the conservative party. But- I'm like, wait a second, that news story is still up. 
at CTV. It's still there. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Uh, th- th- something's been added to it. There's a little note that's been added to the top. It says, update on Patrick Brown. Patrick Brown and CTV have resolved their legal dispute. On January 24th, 2018, four months before a provincial election, CTV broadcast a segment concerning Patrick Brown. Key details provided to CTV for the story were factually incorrect and required correction. CTV National News regrets including those details in the story and any harm this may have caused to Mr. Brown. They regret it. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? So first of all, not a lawyer, but I do actually have experience in um, having some people file some very nasty defamation letters against me because of my podcast. (laughs) Um, So I do have a defamation lawyer that I work with. So what it sounds like to me is a lot of slate of hand. It sounds like you file the lawsuit, so then you can make the headline that you filed the lawsuit. So people are like, oh, well, he must be really serious about this. Then when it becomes clear that it's probably going to take a lot of time, money and effort, because it always does when you're talking about defamation, um, to fight it, then, but you realize that you have this possible upside that, oh, guess what? Instead of $8 million, which he was never going to get, let's be honest, um, you can settle it for basically whatever statement that was, (laughs) plus... I don't know whatever else because it's undisclosed, but probably for pennies on the dollar covering legal costs, maybe. And then you can be done with it and you can pat yourself on the back and say that you've been vindicated. That has tremendous value, right? So (laughs) that appears to be what has happened here. I think you just did a remarkable job. Um, (laughs) I really do. Look, I don't like conjecture or hypotheticals, but the public is very purposely being left in the dark here. Okay, so all we can do is run this through and say, well, why is it that if he's declaring vindication? Oh, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. He's not actually declaring vindication. The devil's in the details here. Look at this. So the headline read, his name has been cleared in quotation marks. And then you read the National Post story and he hasn't actually said that. Just as CTV hasn't actually said sorry, they said regret, you know? Now, any news story where anything is wrong, if you get the time of day wrong, you issue a correction and you say, we regret the error, Sure. right? Which is very different than apologizing to Patrick Brown, which carries the connotation that we're sorry that you were accused of these things. These things are not true. CTV has not taken down their story. They have not said that the allegations are not true. They said that there were mistakes in the story and we regret them. Now, okay, the National Post story, let's look at the details. A source close to Brown who spoke to the National Post on the condition of anonymity. Right. Now, come the fuck on with that, first of all. (laughs) Well, what's... Wait a second. What? Why? I thought that this was victory day for Brown and all sources close to him. Exactly. What what do they have to hide their names for? And why would the National Post grant them anonymity? You're supposed to have a damn good reason for granting someone anonymity. So why does somebody not want their name next to this quote? A source close to Brown who spoke to the National Post on the condition of anonymity said that Brown believes that the statement issued by CTV speaks for itself. He is pleased that this is behind him and is thankful to his wife, family, and many supporters from across the country. He is pleased that his name has been cleared. So Patrick Brown isn't saying my name is being cleared. Why would he avoid saying that? Well, I I can only speculate, but if there are any other women out there 
who feel wronged by Patrick Brown, and he's out there saying my name has been cleared, that's the kind of thing that gets more accusers to come forward. Yeah. I don't know. I can only speculate. What is happening in the CTV newsroom? Here I do know a thing or two about how these things play out, which is it goes to the lawyers and it goes to the insurance company. The newsroom has had its say. The newsroom said, we published the story because we believed in it. We stand by the story. It's being pressured from all sides. We stand by the story. A lawsuit comes in $8 million. Well, we're fighting it. We're not taking it down. It's true. That was their position. That was their position in the statement of defense. The story is true. There was one error about this accuser's age. We corrected it. Okay? Mm -hmm. So then four years later, the demands for $8 million, the demands for a retraction, all of the legal fees piling up over the years, what would happen, one must wonder, if Patrick Brown's lawyer says, we don't need the $8 million anymore. We don't need you to remove the story anymore. We don't even need you to apologize. All we need is for you to add something to the story, acknowledging that there were errors, which you've already acknowledged one, mm-hmm. and say that you regret it. Yeah. That is something that might happen. And when might that happen? After four years, why would you wait four years? Well, the timing of this is right before we're going to find Patrick Brown entering the conservative leadership race. So who wins and who loses in this scenario? It's obviously looking like a win for Patrick Brown. He's even got people on the other side of the political spectrum. Jerry Butts is on Twitter. He wants heads to roll. He's saying, so what happens to the journalists now who handed us Doug Ford as premier? You know, what happens to these irresponsible journalists? So obviously the losers here are Glenn McGregor and Rachel Ayeo. They stand by their story as far as I know. Mm -hmm. But who's forgotten in all of this? The accusers, the sources. That's right. Right? And right there, what does the CTV news story say right at the top? It says, details provided to CTV for the story were factually incorrect. Well, who provided those details, Mm -hmm. those incorrect details? I guess it was those women. Mm -hmm. Poor CTV, victim of these women. It always ends in the same place, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, anybody who has any kind of experience with trauma or um, any kind of sexual abuse or anything that that will tell you that you don't always remember things exactly how they happened. And yeah, you can have a timestamp on a phone, but you can't have a timestamp on your brain. Yeah. These minor inconsistencies, these small details, you know, look, 18 to 19, there are certain, I don't know, I don't know, legal distinctions, age of whether or not he gave them liquor, one of them before she was like, I guess these, these details, they do matter. We care about the facts. That's why we correct them when we learn that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to downplay the significance of that, but this is, it seems to me, an instance where that detail is being used to discredit the entire report. The report is online. The allegations are pretty damn serious. And I think people should read them. You know, people fought really hard to get those truths on the record. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Uh, I I don't want to deal in tittle-tattle, but when this whole thing was going around the first time, Twitter was full of things that didn't make it into the story that corroborated this as a pattern. And I think whenever we're talking about people who are abusers, whether it's your Woody Allens or your Andrew Cuomo's or whatever, it's never one person. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. 
And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Karen, what we do on the show is we look for news stories that more people should know about, and then we just like read them essentially. We duly note them. Do you have something for our listeners today? I just want as many people as possible to know that yesterday Randy Hillier was uh, suspended from Twitter. So, <laughs> and that this comes after months, as you know, of COVID denialism, but also like out and out um, harassment of people and actually like, you know, calling for people to be hurt, etc. And so I know that they hate doing this and I know that they have their whole like Trump rule, which is that if it's newsworthy, it stays. But I'm very glad that they got rid of this one particular person because I do think that calling people actionable things, let's be honest, like some of the things that he said about people, calling them terrorists and whatnot, that's defamation per se. Like you don't get to have a back and forth about that. That is like undeniable. (laughs) Somebody can sue you for that and take you for a lot of money. So I personally am happy about it because I think when he was doing all of his COVID misinformation at the beginning, that helped spawn a lot of people saying, well, this person is an elected official and they don't believe it. So what do they know that we don't know? And I think that that is incredibly dangerous. Duly noted. I have one. I just want to follow up because, you know, we have very quickly, like, just moved on totally from any questions left about the Freedom Convoy. You know, world events overtook that story. But also there's just this, like, Canadian goldfish thing of, like, on to the next thing. Well, yeah, it embarrassed us as a nation. So we definitely want to move on from that because, you know, it's dinner party rules, right? You don't want to yeah. talk about it. You, you don't, you don't like somebody farts, you just ignore and you move on right. for the sake of the of the dinner, dinner party. Well, even in the midst of the coverage of Freedom Convoy, there was denialism 
that I found concerning in this narrative that like this isn't really happening. It's fake. It's being some sort of a false flag operation that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Fox News did to us or something. And certainly the presence of foreign funding was like an alarming thing that required attention. Mm-hmm. But during the time when this is happening, I felt like it was almost being used as an excuse to like pretend that this does not have widespread support in Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, 50% of that money came from here. Nope. So. Nope, we have the final numbers. It came out through the Public Safety and National Security Committee, got a whole lot less attention than when this was all hot. The first GoFundMe that got frozen, that was the first big fundraiser, the one that was like specifically accused of being right. just compl- like a foreign-funded op. 86% of the people who donated to that were Canadian. Mm-hmm. 86%. Oh, yeah. 88% of the money. That's, yeah. um, and then the second crowdfunder the final tally, it's uh, 60% Canadians. So... Oh, okay. So that's that was the one I was referring to. It was the second one, and I guess different numbers came out since. Or whatever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that was the original number given was that uh, after the leak, it was looking like it was just a little bit over 50%. But no, uh, on final tally, what we're hearing from the companies themselves giving testimony to Parliament, 86% from GoFundMe Canadian and 60% of the Give, Send, Go are Canadian. This has... Yeah. Tens of thousands of people. And this is an important distinction in politics. You've got people who support it because, like, my opinion is I kind of support it. But then you've got the hardcore people who open up their wallets. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these are the hardcore people. Right. There's tens of thousands of them. And I know that we've moved on to uh, other news, but those people still live in this country and they are going to be a factor in Canadian politics from this point forward. Uh, and, and they, they, some of them have not, I think, been politically active in Canada before this. They're in the game now. Mm-hmm. For me, the headline that I think kind of got buried was they have never had a win like this before. They have never. That's right. They've never had this much popular support from people who I don't even think know who and what they were supporting necessarily. They won because they got a rollback on all of the mandates, the ones that were basically hanging on by a thread. And then they won because they got content that they can mine for donations and for sympathy for years to come. Yeah, it's interesting. Like in the mainstream, it became impossible to recognize that this was a huge victory. Like the idea that they won anything was just disgusting to people whose sympathies for good reasons were with the Ottawa residents. Yeah. But I think to anybody who's involved in like progressive politics or actually like organizing demonstrations or political action, they were like, oh yeah, no, they did really well. Like we'd kill for a win like that. Like that, that was a very, very successful protest. Yeah. Duly noted. As war wages on across Ukraine, stories of heroism and bravery are flooding social media. Volunteers are rolling up their sleeves and pitching in to help as donations nearly fill up the entire basement of this Ukrainian church in Montreal. A young woman at the piano playing a song whose lyrics are a defiant expression of hope amid so much horror. What a wonderful world. He has no military experience, no personal ties to the country, but plans to go to Ukraine. I think it's our responsibility, my responsibility to help those people. If that means sacrificing blood or life to give them that, then I absolutely think that's uh, what I would do. Karen, uh, the stories just keep coming, the human interest stories about the plight for Ukrainian nationalism about the defense of Ukrainian people. Um, Mm -hmm. Local stories, CBC Ottawa, stores struggle to match the demand for Ukrainian flags. Global news, Putin miscalculated if he thinks the West 
will move on after the Ukraine invasion, says Canada's ambassador to Ukraine. That's the headline. Globe and Mail, Ukraine's fight with Russia is an inspiration for Taiwan, says the foreign minister. Globe and Mail also, it's like Dunkirk, civilian convoy of hope, makes perilous journey to rescue Ukrainians trapped near Kyiv. CBC, Ukraine donation drive ending early after overwhelming response, organizers say. Other stories, not necessarily from news organizations, the Canada Council for the Arts, in solidarity with Ukraine, <sighs> as of today, all activity involving the participation of Russian or Belarusian artists or arts organizations will cease to be funded by the Canada Council for the Arts. And as mentioned, we've seen images of like very young children being trained on how to shoot rifles and uh, communities getting together and having a little assembly line for Molotov cocktails. It seems like every day there's just tons of this stuff. What do you make of it? Well, I think some of it is just the typical like lurge, like, you know, feel good stories. And I think some of it is um, obfuscated propaganda. I think that so I'll back up. I studied the history of propaganda as part of my degree when I was in school. So I can see a lot of patterns emerging here. You mentioned, you know, the children being taught how to use guns. That's unequivocal. <laughs> That's propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to watch that and be like, wow. And other people who are more familiar with that or who have seen the, you know, the Getty images of the, the guys, you know, helping the ladies across the street, but they've got a sonnenrad in the middle of their outfit or whatever – some of us know what that means. Others of us just go, oh, it's a they're helping a lady across the street. Isn't that wonderful? And it's helping to make me feel better about this horrible, horrible thing. I guess I just want to like sort of start with where I think most people are at, which certainly where the media is at. And I think it's got the sympathy of many, if not most people, which is the basic facts that these are people who are not aggressing. They are, they are being aggressed upon. Of course. Their country has been invaded. They are fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their homes. And I think generally... It's not wrong to root for them. It's not wrong to sympathize with them. It's, no. It, it's not wrong to tell stories of, of their strength and bravery and defiance. And I don't feel very complicated about supporting Ukrainians in this moment. I feel a bit more complicated about Ukrainian nationalism. Right. Uh, 100%. For reasons that I think require more context and explanation than is currently really available in the headlines. And I want to... That's right. Yeah. I, I think we got to talk about that. But the first thing is just how weird this is. And it's been observed by others on this show as well as elsewhere. Usually when we see communities getting together to make explosives... It's a story about terrorists. That's right. Usually when we see children with rifles, it's a story about the horrors of child soldiers. Child Coney 2012, yes. Yeah. It's kind of a trip to see the Canadian press become a, I don't want to say warmongers, but certainly war cheerleaders. Like these are happy, mm -hmm. positive stories about people taking up arms Mm -hmm. And it's just a different way than I'm used to seeing these images and these, you know, and, and maybe that's justified because the circumstances are so different and, and maybe in certain ways they're not so different. But it's a trip. It's a trip to read in the Globe and Mail a story about this brave young man who, you know, he's 18 years old. He grew up in Ukraine. He's been living in Canada. But, but you know, he is going back to fight. Mm -hmm. And we get a little interview with him at Pearson about how brave he is. He's, you know, is he afraid? Of course he's afraid, but he's got to do what's right. And the Globe and Mail asks him. Is there anything you want to tell people in Canada? Support Ukraine with any means you can and stop Russia. 
So, Karen, that's like a pretty inspirational story. Seems like a very brave young man. And he's wearing this black baseball cap mm-hmm. with this uh, the symbol on it. And it's this red and black insignia. And what it means, I guess, depends on who you are. Some people say this is just a symbol of Ukrainian nationalism. It's a trident. It's a symbol of defiance. Ukrainian people have their own state, deserve their own state, fought for their own state. And others remind us that this is a symbol that goes back to the roots of Ukrainian nationalism. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's red and black is because of the Nazi slogan, blood and soil. That's right. I want us to get into something that is pretty difficult to talk about right now. It's pretty impolitic because Putin has this bullshit, I want to denazify Ukraine, you know, pretense. It's made it very loaded to talk about this, especially when everybody is feeling a lot of fidelity with Ukrainian nationalism as a cause. Mm -hmm. As a Jew, Ukrainian nationalism is a pretty complicated idea for me to get behind because the Ukrainian nationalist movement was allied very actively with the Nazis. They were uh, fighting the Russians and they were in partnership with Nazis. And it was not, as some have said, just sort of a a marriage of convenience. No, (laughs) they committed atrocities that made the Germans nervous. Like, let's be honest about what happened. Stepan Bandera, still a hero of Ukrainian nationalism a glorious figure who we know from history was not just a leader of Ukrainian nationalism. Here is what the historical record has to say. Stepan Bandera's lieutenants promised to work closely with Hitler and then helped to launch a pogrom. That's a massacre is what a pogrom was. They helped to launch a pogrom that killed 4,000 Lvov Jews in a few days using weapons ranging from guns to metal poles. We will lay your heads at Hitler's feet, a Banderist pamphlet proclaimed to Ukrainian Jews. They killed 4,000 Ukrainian Jews, and they, they, and they believed in it. They believed that, that an independent Ukraine should be cleansed of Poles and Jews. Right. There were about a million and a half Ukrainian Jews who uh, were exterminated. It's a quarter of the Jews who were killed in the Holocaust. It's kind of a trip for Ukrainian nationalism to be the cause that it is right now. Like that number is, is roughly equivalent to the number of Ukrainian Canadians uh, yeah. currently in Canada. And like, you know, if you think about that, if you know what Ukraine was, it wasn't just a place where Jews lived. Like Odessa was like a Jewish city, like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, it would it'd almost be like 80 years from now. You're like, Chicago, didn't there used to be a lot of black people here? You know, right. like, like, like L- yeah. LA, like, weren't there a lot of Mexicans contributing to the city in our, there's a few left, but, uh, or Canada yeah. 80 years from now, what if we're like, oh yeah, didn't we used to have a lot of Ukrainian Canadians? It's not about like resentment or bitterment or, or bigotry. Like none of this history prevents me from supporting the Ukrainian people or feeling right. like terrible for what they're going through and, and wanting them to win. But it's not just ancient history. Like the symbols are still there. Yeah. The heroes are still there. You know, like there was also like there was a NATO tweet of like this young woman, you know, freedom fighter Ukrainian. And like, look at look at this brave young woman. It's like, wait, she's wearing a Nazi black son of death like patch. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't I'm not saying that that young woman knows what that patch means. You know, I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's an unequivocal one. That is the tile that is in the seat of the SS headquarters. Okay. That there, that is unequivocal. That's not just, you're a Nazi. You're like into like the real deep lore. 
I think it's possible that some people are brought up to revere Stepan Bandera and they don't know about that part of it. And they're brought up with those symbols and those symbols mean something very different depending on what you're taught. I think they should know better. I don't think there's any excuse for wearing mm-hmm. that. It's not important to me like to call everybody a Nazi, but like when I read in Le Devoir, like they just went for it. Mm-hmm. Like in Le Devoir, here's like a Canadian newspaper profiling this guy who was in Azov Battalion. Here's what That's they, right. Like, for Russian propaganda, they are fascists and Nazis. They assure yeah. that they are not racists. Le Devoir spoke before the Russian invasion <laughs> with, with Sergei Filiminov, the leader of the Ukrainian nationalist group Honor, and then he's quoted, basically the Honor group was a group of friends who'd fought together in 2014. He explains, a war in which he had enlisted as a volunteer in the Azov Battalion, whose fierceness yeah. in combat And the ideology associated with the nationalist right resonated far beyond Ukrainian borders. What the fuck is going on? Well, and this guy, there was a photo that came out of him and his two friends. They're not wearing a shirt. And they have these multiple tattoos that all have fascist and and Nazi sort of iconography to them. More than I've seen on an episode of the show Oz. (laughs) So, I mean, Uh. I don't think that. We can sit here and say all of these things are coincidental. We start to sound like enablers. You know what I mean? Like if if you're living with a partner and you're finding empty liquor bottles all over the place, they're showing up lit to places, you know, they slur their speech, they're getting in trouble at work. You have to start piecing some things together and start being real about what you're seeing. And I think as a country, we have to start getting a little bit more concerned about This imagery, the fact that it keeps showing up, like, (laughs) this keeps happening. It's not like, oh, it was just one guy or it was just one flag. Even the situation where Christy Freeland was at the the rally, she was photographed not just holding a UPA flag, but standing in front of one. And also she uttered a term that is Slavoj Ukraini, which is a slogan that originated in 1920s fascism in Ukraine. So... We got to start piecing some of these things together and start asking questions about how much of this are we willing to tolerate? I don't think there's a person out there that, well, I mean, obviously Vladimir Putin, that thinks Ukraine doesn't have a right to exist. Ukrainian people don't have a right to self-determination. Everybody as a citizen of this earth has a right to that. Nobody is questioning that. Where we need to start reining it in a little bit and asking questions and the media needs to start getting their, their fingers into this a little bit more is... How much of this are we willing to support? How much of it are we willing to tolerate for this idea of the greater good? Because I do think that there is harm in laundering Sonnenrads and laundering UPA and laundering these things because the next time it makes it easier for them to make their cause because they were the good guys the last time. Well, those are not okay questions to ask, Karen. I mean, the, w- w- when, <laughs> I'm serious. Like th- when those questions first came up, and Canada was among the news organizations that was shopped, you know, back in 2017. Like, hey, do you want to get the scoop on Christia Freeland's grandfather? Right. A lot of information came in, you know, just like this this story that was very revealing. And then we were very quickly warned: this is Russian propaganda. Don't publish this. And and those who, <laughs> those who did fuck with that story, like not only was it Freeland's office. 
who are saying this is Russian propaganda, this is Russian dis- disinformation, these are smear tactics. But like opposition MPs, Kent was saying this is a, an attempt yeah. to smear. There was a political establishment uniformity that this is Russia interfering with disinformation in the Canadian political process with a smear campaign against Christia Freeland. And you know what? I think they were probably right. I think it was Russia spreading a story to disparage Christia Freeland. I also know that it's true that her grandfather was a Nazi collaborator. Mm-hmm. I do not have any reason to believe that she is a Nazi. Like I, I don't want to lend comfort to a propaganda campaign. No. But here, here's the thing. She hasn't talked about this. That's right. To the extent that she's talked about her grandfather, who published a Nazi collaboration newspaper that absolutely advocated for the genocide of Jews, mm-hmm. she has cited him as a Ukrainian nationalist freedom fighter who was a victim of the Nazis. What Christia Freeland said is that her grandfather's politics had a very big effect on her. She's certainly only spoken about her grandfather in very positive ways and even about his politics in positive ways that have had a positive impact on her. We do not choose our grandparents. But if you are the deputy prime minister of Canada, I think it's not too much to ask for clarity on what you think about your Nazi grandfather's politics, especially when you've actually been involved Mm -hmm. in, in citing them. Similarly, and this blew my mind, Karen, Stepan Bandera mm-hmm. has a grandson. That's right. His name's Steve. That's, that's right. He's a Canadian journalist. That's right. And he is a journalist covering Ukraine for CTV. Wow. That's right. Uh, <laughs> we, are, we do not choose our grandparents. He is not responsible yeah. for his grandfather's actions. But here's the thing. Haaretz, the uh, Israeli newspaper, ran a profile of him. He is a, I don't know, there's no other word for it. He's a denier. He denies that his grandfather was an anti-Semite or was involved in things that we know. The historical record makes very clear. Like, it's very important to to not deny the history of the Holocaust. Do I have to say that? Is that something that requires, do, like, do you need me to say that? Yeah. It's it's important that we get these things right. That's right. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's why, you know, like it's. I think it should be abundantly clear, hopefully this far into this episode, that I don't believe that Christia should have to like flagellate herself because of things that her grandfather did. But when you hold somebody up as a hero, then you are tying yourself inextricably to that. And when you go out of your way to obfuscate what that person did, we deserve to ask questions about that. But also on the matter of Stefan Pandera, this is a person who is covering a major news story for a major news network. And they fundamentally disbelieve something that is demonstrably provable. And I think that when we're talking about the news, it is not too much to ask that they at least include a disclaimer. <laughs> if you want to talk about cancel culture or whatever, I'm not even saying like, don't ever use him, cancel him, whatever. But at least <laughs> draw the tie between the two people and just say, this is a disclosure problem. Personally, I don't think he should be covering it. But I think that like the very basic of journalism are not being done here. I don't know. It's, it's pretty weird to have a disclaimer about like, by the way, our reporter's grandfather was this bad guy. Like I've, I've, I've never seen anything like that before. My problem is simply like, if you are on the record denying historical facts, right. I think that disqualifies you 
from covering stories that are very closely related. Yeah. Especially if you also have like a direct family connection to that story. Yeah. I don't know. Call me a hardliner about this, but I I thought like Nazism happened and it was bad was kind of table stakes. Um, Yeah, (laughs) not so much. You know, to a lot of people, this is this is like a self-interested diversion lending aid to the enemy. It's tone deaf. This is not the time. This is ancient history uh, and and has nothing to do like that's the mood right now. Like and it's it's shocking for me to wake up in a Canada where the mood is such that to correct the record about the Holocaust is sort of like offside or tone deaf or something. Yeah, I mean, I was called a fascist the other day for just saying like, hey, you know, this image that where this guy is holding this cat in his uniform, he's a member of Azov Battalion, and maybe we shouldn't be spreading this around as a feel-good story. Somebody called me a fascist. And to this Stefan Bandera thing, there is no bigger event in modern history that has more coverage of it than World War II and the Holocaust. I mean, that whole point about like IBM keeping like, you know, incredible records, Germans keeping incredible records. We have a lot of info to go back on to know exactly what happened. Things are provable on multiple, like, it's not just like, oh, we got a guy on a hot mic saying this or whatever. No, like things are written down, things are documented, things are photographed. We know what happened. I know that there are people that were part of our family that went to Dachau because they were political prisoners for being communists Mm -hmm. because of that. (laughs) So to sit there and say like, well, you know, that's in dispute or, well, you know, that was a long time ago. It wasn't a long time ago. It affected my own grandparents. My own grandparents only recently died. It's not that long ago. And there are people still alive who experienced it, and those experiences are still alive in those of us who survived them. That's right. To pull back a little bit broader here, I do also question, what are these stories about? You know, this this sort of like constant, constant uh, kind of beating the war drum and stories of defiance and these human interest stories. Some of them, as I say, like these are the stories of the people involved, and I, I think we need to hear about the yeah. people involved. But, but a lot of them are, I think— I don't know if psychoanalyzing the stories is of any use, but all I can think about is Ukrainians have our support in Mm -hmm. every way but, like, our actual support, Mm -hmm. you know? People are doing things like renting Airbnbs for Ukrainians and, like, sending shipping containers. And somebody on my Facebook network said, why are we, like, sending over shipping containers of, like, clothing? Poland's right next door. They have Walmarts there. But that's fine. This is coming from a good-hearted place, and Canadians care and want to give money and they want to support. But we also know that there's a bottom line here, which is that when it comes down to it, I don't think public opinion or Canadian foreign policy has any appetite for actually putting boots on the ground and fighting alongside. Mm-hmm. We, we we know that it, when it comes down to it, we really, really, really hope that they will win because I think that the political calculus is that if not, um, we're willing to sacrifice this country to prevent World War III. And I think that's what the world has concluded. Mm-hmm. And so I, I almost see these stories as kind of like compensating for our willingness to sacrifice this country.
That's Shortcuts. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Okay, we're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Uh, I can be emailed, jesse at CanadaLand.com. I read everything that you send in. Karen, where can people find you and what is your podcast called? Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at, at K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. Um, you can also um, listen to my podcast. It's called On Belief, a podcast about cults. You can listen to that anywhere you get podcasts or there's also a Patreon with um, full-length episodes and some additional information. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by so-called syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in our show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.